we're back in Fictional Frontiers. Transmedia today, thanks to the ubiquity of the internet, grants access like never before. It's opened up the floodgates to proverbial diamonds in the narrative rough across the globe. Decades ago, creators were forced to conform and tell stories inspired by a limited number of tropes, and the playing field was dominated by superheroes and the like. In 2019, the game has changed, and creators like our guest today, Nadia Shamas, are collaborating and producing amazing new content with an international vibe, but inspired by the best of our common humanity. Nadia, thanks again for taking the time. Welcome to Fictional Frontiers. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Nadia, I'm really looking forward to the chat today because... We rarely get the chance to actually talk to a creator who has a project that's just starting off and is going to be released a couple years down the road. So in addition to talking about the industry itself, I think it would be nice for our listeners to kind of get a sense of what goes into the creative process and the step-by-step process you have to go through. But before we get to all of that, I wanted to ask you about the comic industry as a whole. What got you interested in it? Um, I've always been a longtime comic reader. Uh, I kind of, there was a local comic shop half a block away from where I grew up, and I would often duck in there uh, after school and, you know, kind of read in the back. The staff was very kind to help work. (laughs) I was as a child. (laughs) And um, so then when I was in college, um, this is actually kind of a funny story. Uh, There was someone in high school who I really hated, and he lied and told everyone that he got a Marvel internship. And I got very jealous and mad, so I applied for a Marvel internship. I found out that he lied, but I got an internship. <laughs> um, so I it's ended up doing two editorial Marvel internships, and it kind of opened it up to me where I was a fan before, but I realized that there really was a future in comics, and particularly there was a future in comics for me. So uh, that's kind of how I got started. What do you think about the industry today as a whole? I mentioned at the outset that the playing field has changed, and I think, again, digital uh, distribution and digital content has opened up a lot of doors. But at the same time, if you look at the industry as a whole, it's going through a lot of changes internally and externally. But one of the things that's very clear is that readers across the globe, not just here in the States, they want fresh new content with characters from a whole slew of different backgrounds. So how would you describe the industry today? I would definitely agree with you that the industry right now is going through a lot of growing pains. Um, I think that there's kind of this, now with the internet and now especially, I am a big uh, proponent of kind of things like the power of Kickstarter or the power of Gumroad or the power of of Patreon. Um, It's that, you know, you can be online and readers who don't normally get to see themselves in kind of the mainstream can give money for people to make their own content. Uh, Thankfully, you know, social media has a lot of ills, but I genuinely, you know, think that social media has made my career Mm. Um, because uh, my first project was Corpus on Kickstarter, which was an anthology. Uh, Because of social media, I was able to connect with a lot of really fantastic creators, and I was able to run a Kickstarter and um, people were able to give money to content that normally wouldn't have been made. A project like Corpus, which is an anthology that focuses on illness and disability um, and healthcare experiences, would not get a mainstream release without kind of the ability for the internet, for people to find me on the internet and to find the other creators who were in the book on the internet. So I definitely think that Right now, there's still kind of these 
roadblocks that uh, kind of stop people from moving forward. Uh, but at the same time, it's just kind of, I guess everybody can have a platform now. Yes. Do you know what I mm-hmm, mean? Mm-hmm. For better or worse, but I think <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen a lot of for better. I really do believe in kind of the, the exceptional work that is being made, especially for marginalized groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can kind of vote with your dollar with what kind of content you want to make. And I definitely think that the industry at large, the greater mechanisms have noticed based on the kind of work that is starting to be picked up and put out. I think that it's harder to ignore the money of the marginalized people that you were ignoring initially when you kind of see other people rising up next to you and doing it on their own. Definitely, definitely. And it's funny, um, with respect to transmedia as a whole or licensing and branding uh, across the globe, the three biggest emerging markets are actually the Middle East, North Africa, Latin America, and Southeast Asia. So you mentioned the dollar signs, and that's obviously part of it. But what I really appreciate is the fact that you love this medium. And talking about Corpus and working on this, that was a passion project. I want to get that in a moment. But Mm -hmm. Uh, there are people like yourself who don't look at this industry as or at this medium as just a gateway to doing something else. They look at it as something that allows them or a platform that allows them to share content, to tell stories. It's not just a, a way to make a quick buck or to get a new movie deal or TV deal. So talk about absolutely. that. Uh, absolutely. I think that, you know, uh, comics has kind of, and I think comics, and also I'll just say honestly, genre in general mm. has been long devalued. Yes. Um, and I think that kind of now with social media, with kind of with online and with kind of more international markets, we see kind of the impact of it. And I think that it has kind of entered pop culture and the mainstream in a way that it never has. It's a really good time to be a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, well, I don't even know if there are nerds anymore. I think it's kind of all blended yeah, together. That's, that's, that's a really uh, good point. I don't you know, know we're more mainstream. Even how we could even kind of uh, identify ourselves anymore because yes. it's kind of, you know, it's kind of everywhere. And I think that you're right that there are, you know, I, I think that a lot of the time the thing that's difficult about artistic mediums such as comics is because they take so long. Yes. It's harder to make a living. Um, and I think that now, with kind of the ability to do it yourself, for the most part, obviously, it's still, you know, there's still a lot of, like, economics that go into it about who can be participate. But ultimately, I think that with the ability to kind of do it yourself, self-publish yourself, make digital content yourself, um, you can worry about that less and just work in the medium that you love. And for me, that medium is comics. Not that I'll never do anything else, but I truly love comics. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people do. And now can say, you know what? No, I'm going to stick to comics. I'm not going to be, you know, comics is a real medium, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Uh, Well, let me ask you this. With respect to the industry as a whole, we talk about the leveling of the playing field. And I do believe that there's greater access and opportunity. But I also feel that there's this almost provincial nature to the industry as well, that the people who are in positions of authority or power are still reticent about letting new players into the game, so to speak, number one. And number two, I almost feel like there's this concern that if they do let people in who have fresh new takes on story, they might lose their job. So 
there's still somewhat of an uh, you know closed door policy. Yes, it's somewhat open, but it's not fully open. I'm curious whether or not you've experienced that as well. I don't think that I have been kind of a quote unquote on a player long enough to experience it, but I definitely think that it's true, right? I definitely think that there are kind of much wider important conversations to be had to say who who gets to kind of hold a position of real power in a i suppose i guess in the hierarchical sense Mm -hmm. of who gets to really play in the publishing field um i think that oftentimes you do see a lot of the editorial assistants or kind of the a lot of the diversity and much-needed fresh perspectives happening on a lower level and is kind of dependent on people who are higher than them kind of saying yes or no. And I think that, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, that there is, there have been a lot of strides moving forward, but we have definitely not reached anywhere near the finish line for kind of platforming people who would hold the door close to you most definitely Um, yeah well let's get away from the heavier stuff the business side of things for a moment and talk about some of the work itself and corpus is amazing Uh, i haven't read the whole thing as of yet but it's such weighty important material and again i think it's a testament not only to what you've been able to accomplish but it's also a testament to the people involved with it because when you're dealing with issues of the body breaking down, illness, uh, you know, frailty, uh, things that we don't really want to confront on a daily basis. I'm a little bit older than you, I'm sure. So I'm dealing with it much more often (laughs) than I'd like to admit. Um, but dealing with a lot of things where uh, there's a fear factor that comes into play because it's so real and it's something we can't avoid in many cases. Um, how were you able to kind of pull that off and what was your motivation going in? So my motivation going in was a few things, and I think actually, ironically, this ties into the last question, where one of the things was that I couldn't really, I couldn't find work in comics in an editorial capacity, and I was getting very frustrated, so I kind of knew, like, you know what, I, I got to do it myself, right? I have to prove that I am capable of putting together a project, and then I thought to myself, like, okay, but if I do this, I want to do about something I'm incredibly passionate about, and around this time, there was kind of the first conversations uh, of defunding Obamacare. Mm. And I'm type 1 diabetic, and I have been since I was six years old. And um, I remember seeing Paul Ryan say something along the lines of, why should healthy people pay for sick people? And the way that they were having this conversation about sick people as if it was like this mindless horde who are just like sitting back and waiting (laughs) for money. Yes. But it was so far from the truth that I all I could think about was that, you know, I wish that people could kind of see the absurdity of it. One that, you know, most like many people who deal with everyone deals with sickness in some capacity or another and your body will break down, I promise you. Like yes. one day you will be one of the sick people that you are sneering at. Mm-hmm. Um and that also, you know, that people who live with chronic illness and disability are just normal people who like walk amongst you and uh, so I kind of realized that and I also realized suddenly that I had never seen a diabetic in a comic I know that there's maybe um, I believe there's one Joe the Barbarian which I have not read yet but I have not seen like 
a lot of diabetics, and and when I was a, a teen, I'd only come across one book that had like a diabetic protagonist, and I loved that book to bits. Mm. I believe it was called Sweet Blood. But anyway, so um, I realized that you know what? Surely I cannot be the only one here pining to kind of see myself as a chronically ill person. And I'm sure that there are a lot of people who are also upset about the conversations that are happening. So I decided to put together an anthology. So I put up open submissions, and I also reached out to some creators who I greatly admired. And I have to say that all the creators I worked with were exceptional. They were so vulnerable and open, and they really kind of elevated the project further than I ever thought it would go because they um, they really brought it, and they and I, I appreciate everyone who supported and worked on the project. So, yeah, I think that what helped with a project like Corpus, which was insanely difficult to put together, was that I everyone in working on it was so passionate, and everyone supporting it was so passionate. So it was easy for me to kind of dive into my passion and make it happen. What did you learn about the process, and what did you learn about yourself going through this? I learned about myself that I am much uh, stronger than I thought I was. <laughs> um, I was not sure. You know, there were definitely times where I was like, I'm not going to make it on the other side of this. This book is going to bury me. But, but um, I think that I learned that actually I, I can do it. And it definitely gave me the confidence to pursue, you know, future things like Squire, which we'll talk about later, I'm sure. Yes. But um, uh, I, I think I also learned about how many bits and pieces and moving parts it really takes to take a project from, you know, one step to the other. I learned about, like, printing costs and shipping and, you know, <laughs> like, like, administrative work. I learned that uh, doing publishing was way more emails than you ever thought there would be. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, so um, I think I just kind of learned... I felt like I it was taking, taking like a crash course in what it takes to put a book together. Mm. And um, I now understand why there are so many people needed at publishing companies to kind of take this from beginning to end. It is like publishing is such a group collaborative process that, um, you know, it's never just like the person on the book cover. It's, it's like a million people you haven't seen all doing their best. So um, I, I learned a lot about it. I deeply respect anyone who sell, who uh, works in publishing or self-publishes because that book was uh, a wonderful, beautiful process and very, 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 I loved it. But also, I, I was so tired. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you for it because I think it's an important work, a very important work. And uh, it's one thing to actually put something like that together. It's a whole other thing to do it at the level that you have uh, worked on, and the quality of it speaks for itself. So, yeah. I mean, one of the things that I definitely want to be honest about is that I would not have been able to put the book together, one, without Kickstarter, which so because I wouldn't have had the money up front. And also, I did take out, like, I, I borrowed money from my father to get it off the ground, mm -hmm. which I did pay him back. But ultimately, I think that when we talk about self-publishing and we talk about publishing in general, we do have to talk about the people who have the privilege and the yes. economic support to be able to do something like this. So I think that that definitely plays into some of the greater issues of marginalized people and who gets to be part of the conversation because it does take quite a bit of um, economic 
privilege to be able to do something like this. So I recognize that in myself. And um, I, yeah. It's funny you brought that up because there was a recent article that just came out today, I believe, about how the SATs are actually adding a component, uh, a scale, I believe, or rating that takes into consideration a person's socioeconomic background, uh, the crime in the area, uh, mm-hmm. all the different factors that come into play, and that's actually going to be sent to colleges uh, with the exam itself. So it's not that's, just going to be... very interesting. Yes. Yeah, I, I definitely think that that is, especially, I think in creative industries, the money aspect is the most silent and most deadly aspect. Yes. We don't talk about how underpaid people are. We don't talk about how long it takes people to get paid. We don't talk about kind of why it's, why kind of the, the industry is still so kind of old school. It's because old school money is the thing that you need to take to get in it and keep in it. And if I didn't have, you know, I work a day job and I were, and you know, a lot of people I know do. And without something like Kickstarter, without kind of the temporary financial support I was able to receive without my job, there's no way I was able to participate in this industry. No, and I appreciate your candor there because it is true. It, you know, it takes uh, a lot of different people to put these things together, and that's kind of what the collaborative process of comic books is all about. It's finding people who work together not only on the creative side of things, but like you said, on the financial, commercial side of things as well, and even on the emotional side <laughs> when you're dealing with the oh, stress yeah. <laughs> of putting these things together. I can tell you from my own experience uh, working on our first animated pilot, that was that was a beast. And I think yeah. if I didn't have the support of my wife and even my son and my parents and probably hundreds of other people that you're you know, eventually going to have to thank when you walk up on stage and win the awards you win, right? That's what they always say. Uh, <laughs> it would not be yeah. possible. But uh, going back to the collaborative process, I want to talk about Squire now because, yes, it's a collaborative process, but it's also only going to be as successful as that collaboration is. And that collaboration is only as successful as the parties involved. And so you're working with uh, Sarah Afagi on this, and she's an incredible artist. And, uh, you know, I saw her work initially at a couple of the comic conventions. I think the first time I saw her work was at New York Comic Con, I believe. So talk about how this all started, because it's one thing to find the right uh, teammate that you're going to be working with, but then it has to be the right project as well. So which came first? Uh, Talk about the chicken and egg scenario there. Uh, Well, so basically Sarah and I kind of got together where um, I found her work and I I followed her online, and I was kind of just scoping out her availability in case a writer in Corpus needed an artist. Um, we, she ended up not uh, working on Corpus, but she did back it, and uh, we started following each other. We started talking to each other, just kind of as both, like, young Arab women in the industry, <laughs> just kind of talking about yes. our experience, and, you know, it was nice to kind of talk to someone and not have to explain certain things or kind of, uh, you know, uh, I guess, like, tiptoe around certain subjects because, mm-hmm. she, she, you know, there was kind of some mutual understanding. Um, and then uh, one day, kind of Sarah called me up and she said, listen, I'm ready to do a project and I'm thinking maybe we could hook up together. And, this, and we had a long conversation about our favorite types of stories. And we're both kind of big, uh, you know, fantasy people, historical fiction people, uh, anime people. <laughs> so uh, we ended up kind of 
driving, and uh, Sarah also had this exceptional, um, just amazing, as she does, concept art for just kind of this short, and I was so inspired by it that we basically started kind of building from the, the very, like, groundwork thing that she had already done, and we kind of started talking about what do we want to say what do we want to talk about? What kind of story? What tropes do we love and want to put in here? What tropes do we want to subvert? Um, and so, yeah, honestly, um, Sarah was incredibly involved in the conceptualizing process. This book would not exist in, in kind of theoretically or in the way that it does without her. Um, and I think that that's really important because I think that people do feel that there is more of a separation between the art and words than they know is like, yes, I wrote the script and I came up with kind of the beats and a lot of the concepts, but, you know, I couldn't have done that with, without her, her part as well. Um, and she's, you know, comics don't exist without art. <laughs> uh, so, you know, everybody respect your artist. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. It's funny because I know DC uh, had that initiative where for a while there were certain books they actually, uh, decide to have the artist listed before the writer uh, on mm -hmm. the credits page on the cover, and I thought that was kind of interesting. But again, at the end of the day, it's both of you working in tandem. And, you know, it's not enough to just have you two working in tandem to get something published by HarperCollins. So how did that submission process work, and what was the pitch? Can you give us the pitch? Because I'd love for our listeners to learn more about Squire, and I feel like if you give us the elevator pitch, they might get a good, you know, they might get a good... Uh, understanding what this process and what this story is all about. Absolutely. So Squire tells the story of this 14-year-old uh, girl from a recently conquered uh, group uh, who, um, in this kind of greater empire called the Beitsaji Empire, who decides that she, in order to kind of escape this life of um, mandates and uh, forced poverty, uh, that she's going to join the army, which she sees as a way out. But as kind of war begins to brew again between these two uh, countries, she feels the need to hide her identity uh, in order to kind of make it into the top, um, the, the top, I guess, rank, which is a knight. Um, so she enters the academy, and she kind of has to ultimately decide whether she's going to kind of do what's right um, or whether she's going to kind of deny her, you know, kind of the, deny her own identity in order to kind of elevate herself to a life that's worth living. So when you pitched it to them, how did you approach it and what did you say? How much material did you have? So basically we... Um, I, I signed on with an agent, Charlie Olson, who also represents Sarah, and, she, and uh, we created a pitch for him that included some sample pages. We included the full kind of uh, plot in detail, We've, the characters, um, some concept art of kind of the environment and the characters and so on, and uh, we developed it into this nice little package that uh, Charlie could kind of take to editors that he felt would do a good job with it. And um, it ended up being in a uh, nine-publisher bid. And at the end of the day, uh, Andrew Eliopoulos from 
HarperCollins came out on type, and that was very exciting because Andrew had been a longtime fan of Sarah's work, and I had been a fan of Nimona, which mm. he had worked, which he had edited. So mm-hmm. I felt like it really kind of worked out in the best way that I could have. So the story is a Middle Eastern-inspired tale, and you talk about subverting certain things. Now, we're not going to get into spoilers here, obviously, mm-hmm. but um, going in, did you have maybe a checklist of those things that you wanted to include and those things you definitely wanted to exclude? And also, given the fact that this book, I would hazard a guess, is primarily for audiences here, but you never know, it might be translated in other parts of the world. How did, how did you juggle all of that? Because obviously... You're bringing in tropes uh, from the Middle East, and you're not trying to uh, reimagine a story that was inspired by European tales and what have you. So talk about that, because again, I think there's a lot of interesting elements there, and I know that you definitely did not go through a whitewashing process. I'll put it that way. (laughs) No, I think that um, ultimately, you know, this I've said before this expression where I say that I'm an Amer- Arab American and that everything that I am exists in that hyphen. Mm, interesting. And, um, <laughs> that I like I, that. Thank you. Um, and that uh, I feel like this story also exists in that hyphen. This is not a story. This is a story that kind of pays homage to the Middle East. And I think it was important to both of us that we kind of tell a story um, set in the Middle East that is more realistic with a lot of kind of ethnic diversity and with um, kind of a lot of visual inspiration that honors rather than orientalizes the place that we're from. As we head out, though, I know you're going to be working on some other projects as well, probably from now until then. So what can you tell us about what you're working on now and where can our listeners keep abreast of you on the web? Um. I can't quite say about stuff that I'm working on right now. But I you are working, working on things. That's a good thing. I am working on things. <laughs> um, pro- the, I am working currently on developing another anthology, uh, one that is focused on cyberpunk, because mm. we are in 2019, the year of Blade Runner and Akira. Yes. And <laughs> yes. so I, that is kind of something that you know I'm, I'm working on developing, and also other things behind the scenes, all of which are just as challenging and Middle Eastern as I am. Um, <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and uh, you can definitely find me the best on Twitter, uh, and that's uh, Nadia underscore Shamus underscore. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can go there to see, you know, I guess, pictures of my cats and opinions of Game of Thrones. Mm, okay, okay, very good, very good. Well, things are wrapping up next week. Actually, by the time the show airs, they probably will have re- uh, imagine the whole show because I know there's a petition out there right now to try to oh redo the Please entire don't, last season. Uh, dear listeners, I don't know if it's too late. Please don't sign that petition. Just wait for Game of Thrones Brotherhood like everyone else. <laughs> well, Nadia, I just want to say you're always welcome back on Fictional Frontiers. Uh, congratulations on Corpus. Congratulations on Squire. And we're really excited to see where this is going. And we're going to have to have you come back uh, to talk about those other projects when you can. I would love to. So uh, hopefully see you after you've read Squire. Love to talk about what I ended up doing. (laughs) 